welcome to Mother's Day. It's, a, it's an important occasion. Uh, as you know, I don't often take by detours from what we're doing in the scriptures, but we just finished John last week, and it's an important occasion this morning to look towards motherhood and feminine virtues. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31 this morning. And I want to take this time to encourage, to celebrate, to praise motherhood and feminine biblical virtues, but to also direct and to exhort and to teach in this area which is so important. The scriptures tell us that the scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And it should not surprise us that when we look to an area like this where our culture is so far away from the things of the Lord that as men and women we are not where we need to be according to the scriptures. That as fathers and as mothers, as husbands and as wives, we have much room to grow and we need to be careful to look to what the scriptures say about these things that we might not lose sight of the will of the Lord for us. Just a few weeks ago, we passed a new low milestone, if you will. There was the confirmation hearings before the Supreme Court of Ketanji Brown, who has now been affirmed and will serve as the next Supreme Court justice when Stephen Breyer steps down at the end of this term. And she was asked by a U.S. senator during this confirmation hearing, can you define what a woman is? And after very little uh, hesitation, she said, I cannot. I am not a biologist, and that was the end of the situation. And that is, a, that is something that should take us all and, and shock us all. Like, where, where are we if we, we cannot obviously talk about motherhood or Mother's Day if we cannot even define what a woman is because we have not even begun to look at gender differences or gender roles if we are not willing to even admit that. Our non-Christian culture is so far past into deception and moral corruption that a very intelligent woman, twice educated at Harvard, is not willing to give a definition even of what a woman is. And so this morning, it's very important that we look at God's Word. In the past, I've spoken on things like this years in the past, and it was just not like this. We, we affirmed certain things, we encouraged certain things, but we were not at a place where we had to go back and redefine the basic foundations of what we're even talking about. And we should not lose sight of the fact that our children are being raised in this age. And we need to go back to the foundations over and over again to remind them of what we are even talking about and what the Bible says about these things which are of such incredible importance. So the question that I think our minds should go towards as we talk about these things is, who does define these things? If someone of such great standing and such intelligence and is getting ready to hold a place of incredible authority in the U.S. government cannot define these things, then who does define these things? Is it public polling? Is it academics? Is it the Supreme Court? Well, it brings us down to the, the age-old ethical uh, conundrum of is versus ought. So we see what is or what exists before us in the world today. We see what is happening. But the question is, who has the authority to tell us what ought to be? Christians believe that the Lord who created and designed us, who loves us, who seeks our good and for his own glory, that he has the fatherly authority to tell us how things ought to be. 
And we need to hear that. When we go into the Lord and, and we ask how we should live, we should expect correction. Because when we look at the world around us today and we say, wow, look at what is happening there and look at the scriptures, we should expect that we have been taken in some way into the spirit of the world and we should look for correction from God's word. Because for 60 years, our culture has been working hard and over time to undermine and to destroy biblical gender roles between men and women and those roles in the home. It has been an all-out fight to press Decade after decade after decade that there is no difference at all between men and women, psychologically, emotionally, or in any other way. And largely, they have been successful in persuading our culture that there is, in fact, no difference between men and women, emotionally, psychologically, or any such way. And now we're down to the point where the last remaining difference is the physical, biological differences between men and women, and they're pressing in every possible way to say that there is no real difference there either. And whatever difference may be there can be changed through surgery or hormones or whatever to where there is no difference whatsoever between men and women. But the Bible tells us what ought to be, not just what is. And it tells us that there is a definition for a woman, and that definition flows into what it means to be a wife, and that that flows into what it means to be a mother. And that all three of these things are connected together, and these roles play together. From the first chapters of Genesis, God created men and women differently. He created the sexes to complement each other. They are equal in their standing and their dignity and their personhood before God. But men and women are different in the way that they are created in body and in temperament to play different and completing roles for each other. This is the doctrine of complementary uh, sexes. And so when we look at the word complementing or what it means for one thing to complement another, it means for the two things to work well together, the two things to make up for differences in each other and things that are weak in one place are strong in the other. And so when you bring two complementing things together, they are better together than they were separated. And this is exactly what we see in the two sexes between men and women created by God intentionally in this way to complete each other. And the aspect of marriage also created by God to bring two people together the where they are better together as one than they were separated individually. But today we're going to focus on the beauty and the goodness and the importance of biblical feminine virtues. They are so undermined in our day that it's important that we lift them up and we look at them and we praise these things. And I want to directly praise the women of our church. This church is full of godly women, and I am thankful for it. And it's part of the great strength of this church that we have many women in this church that have purposefully turned away from the things of this world, purposefully honor the Lord God in the way that they live their lives and in the things that they value. And they are purposefully pouring their lives into what God says is good. Their hearts are turned towards the home, they love their husbands, they love their children. And their industry is not self-centered, but their industry is selfless and servant-hearted. They are wise and kind and strong and determined, and they are women who fear the, the Lord. They do not fear this world and what it says about them in choosing a different direction. 
And I'm greatly encouraged that we have a whole group of young women in this church that see these older women living in this way and are persuaded in the goodness of it and are walking in these same ways, and it gives me joy in my heart. So we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 31 this morning, verses 10 through 31. And so I would ask you to please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word this morning. It may have been a while since you've read this passage, and it may surprise you as we reread it as to what is here, and it's important. Let's read together. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. Verse 12, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her work praise her in the gates. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. What we see here in Proverbs 31, the second half of Proverbs 31, is an ideal. An ideal is something that is put before us not to crush us down and point out all of our inadequacies and the things that we have not been able to accomplish, but it's something that's put there before us to inspire us and to direct us and to give us something to aim at, to go ahead of us, to lead us. You know, we think in the New Testament where Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect. You're like, what am I supposed to do with that? I can't be perfect. Well, it, it, it's putting something before us that we're ever striving for by the grace of the Lord God moving in a certain direction. And it's a direction that we will never achieve, but it's good that we never stop striving towards what we ought to be striving toward. It produces growth continually in our life. And this is a pattern. This is a pattern that surpasses all times and all cultures and can be applied by all people. And so I think there's four basic parts to what we have before us here this morning. And the first part is verses 10 through 12, which has to do with the godly woman in relationship to her husband. It says, an excellent wife who can find she is more precious than jewels. It is really important at the beginning of talking about something like this to understand that God's normal plan for men and women is marriage. 
there is plenty of singleness in this world, and there is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is very clear that there is absolutely no sin in singleness. This is not a, a problem, but it is also something that gnaws at people normally, that they do not want to be alone. They long to be married because God has created us, I believe, with a normal desire for relationship. And that we are encouraged to seek after marriage. And that in this, God completes the man and the woman into one relationship, which by it, they are more productive and more godly. And it's used for our sanctification. It's used for the creation of families and the building of families, which then goes into the building of society. The life of most godly women will be lived in the context of marriage, as it is with men. Most godly men, their godliness will be lived out in the context of marriage. And so it's good for us to talk about these things and not back away from them. If we look at the statistics today, we are in the lowest rate of marriage ever as long as statistics have been kept in the United States of America. Less and less people are marrying. And that's a problem. Because if God has created marriage as something that completes men and women in a normal pattern that we should live in, when people are abandoning that, problems are going to occur. Verse 10 says, speaks to the pursuit of, all, uh, of a godly woman by a godly man. She is far more precious than jewels. This is the idea of a godly man looking out at the world and saying, man, what should, I, what should I pursue? What's worth my time? What should I be striving after? And the writer of the Proverbs is saying that a godly woman is the greatest treasure that you can ever have in your life. And we look at relationships, and we know that relationships are the most treasured of all things. You can have all the material goods of the world, all the positions of the world, but if you have no relationships, your life is bankrupt and empty. And of relationships, the greatest, most joyful and life-giving relationship, apart from the Lord our God, when we're talking about human relationships, is the relationship of marriage. And so a person who finds a, a godly husband and a godly wife has found a great and joyful and life-giving thing. And it's something that we should pursue and we should incur, encourage others to pursue. And so when we look at this and we, and we look at single men specifically, I want to encourage you, especially the younger single men, it's often not something that is encouraged, I think, directly from the pulpit for young single men to say marriage is a good thing. And especially young marriage is a good thing, appropriately young. But it is right and good for a young man to seek after a godly young woman and to say this is something that I want and something that I desire in my life. And it's something that's right to pray about, to aspire towards and ask God for. If God has said that a godly woman and to marry a godly woman is a good thing, it's more precious than even diamonds or jewels in this world, then it's something that you should seek after and pray and ask the Lord for. It's something of pursuit. And I want to say to the, to the married men in this church that have been married for a long time, do not stop pursuing your wife. You pursued your wife at some point and you sought after her. And don't stop pursuing her. Don't lose sight of the many good virtues that brought you and attracted you to your wife in the past. Keep looking at those virtues. Keep working to cultivate those good things in her life and seek after her in a joyful and a life-giving way. Verse 11 speaks to trust. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he'll have no lack of gain. 
Those of us that have been married for long know that trust is the bedrock foundation of a strong marriage. When a marriage loses trust, something tremendous has been lost that must be worked to be rebuilt. And it can, by the grace of God, be rebuilt. Trust, verse 12, the godly wife is a blessing to her husband and her children. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. What a blessing it is to be around a person that seeks to bless you. In marriage, it should be that husband and wife are seeking to bless each other continuously. And this is something that is pointing to the wife seeking to bless her husband. There is such joy in being around a person that is looking for ways, not that they might tear you down or claw at you or criticize you, but instead they are looking at you with a perspective of how can I bless you? How can I encourage you? How can I lift you up? And so verses 10 through 12 are a little bit about a godly woman in relationship to her husband. Verses 13 through 19, the second part of this, is the work of a godly wife and mother, the industry and labor of a godly wife and mother. And I think it's important with all the different things that we're getting ready to see here that we see that the orientation of the work and the industry of the godly wife is toward the home. It is home economics, if you will. It is the care of the home. It is food, clothing, financial matters, care of children, husband, community. There's a lot that this woman is doing. She's an industrious person. But there is a direction and a focus of her industry. And it's not just making money. The the direction of this industry is to see that her home and her marriage and her children and those in her community are strong and cared for. Her actions are broad, they are bold, they are strong, and each one of them are working to press back and overcome forces that would corrupt or tear down or destroy her home or family or marriage. And so at the end of this, we see that she has been successful in working in such a way that her home and her marriage and her community are strong. And so in verse 13, We see the the first part of of trade, and she seeks wool and flax and is working with her hands. Uh, In verse 14, we have her bringing in food, sometimes afar or in hard ways. In verse 15 is the first uh, of what every mother knows relates to working as a mom, which is a tireless effort. It is something where the work is never done. What does it say in verse 15? She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. The work of a mother is a a tireless work, a work that starts in the morning and goes into the night, and no matter what kind of to-do list you have, you're never going to reach the bottom of the to-do list. So don't worry about it. At some point, you've just got to stop, and you're going to pick it up the next day, and you're going to keep going there. But every godly woman that is working for the good of her household and working to support and care for these things is striving tirelessly. A godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother is not a person that is seeking to be served, but is a person that is seeking to serve others. They are selfless in the way that they work towards others. This is person, as we read throughout this, this woman is not a woman that is sitting to the side, wringing her hands in anxiety and fearful of the future. As we're going to see, she is confident in the Lord and confident in her actions and is seeking to work out the problems and the issues of life one step at a time through work, day, and some at night. She is not seeking to escape the home. She is instead seeking to work for the betterment of the home. She is not trying to escape her husband, but to work for the betterment of their marriage. She is a productive person. 
that is not seeking to entertain herself or looking for an easy life or an escape for these things, but embraces these things and through them, as we're going to see, is honored. In verse 16, we get into a little bit of real estate. She's buying a field, considering it. The fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard, a little gardening, all kinds of things going on here. But in verse 17, we see this. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Twice this idea of a strong woman is emphasized. In verse 25, we see it again. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And in verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and her teaching is kindness. What a beautiful picture of a godly woman. Strong, dignified, wise, kind. To be dignified is an interesting and important uh, descriptor. Uh, someone who is dignified is someone that first has respect for themselves, and because they have respect for themselves, others also respect them. And because of this, they're held in high regard. They're someone who has confidence about themselves, and their confidence comes from the Lord. A wise woman, a kind woman, a wise woman is someone that people go to for questions. That They see that they have understanding as to what is going on in the world and they have answers for questions that are going on that other people don't understand and they go to this type of a woman to ask her, what should I do about this? How should I handle that? And she has answers that make sense and honor the Lord and are smart. But in all of this, she is not proud. She is kind and she is humble and she is merciful. And so we look at the, the strength of a godly woman. I think it's very important to point out that this strength is a strength of character. It is a strength of soul. It is a strength of mind. It is a strength of personality and perseverance. But what it is not is what our world today is pressing for as hard as it can, which is a physical strength. The idea that if a woman is strong, that she'll be just as strong as any man, and I can take on or overcome any man. I, I, my kids will tell you, I, I am so sick of watching 90-pound women beat up giant guys in superhero movies, I just can't take it anymore. Like, I just, I turn it off, because I, I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a deception, and it's feeding into this idea that if, if a woman really wants to be strong, she'll be just as physically strong as a man. Well, this is not complimenting, that, that's competition, Okay, and that's deception. God has created men partially, part of their strength is physical strength. Okay, and part of, but we don't want to live around a bunch of, if everybody's a strong army man, you know what we don't have any of? We don't have any tenderness, we don't have any kindness, we don't have any goodness, and anybody that's been around a lot of guys like that are so glad to see a feminine woman come in and bring feminine virtue into the situation to help level the playing field and make it a more beautiful and good place to be. And so it is not that we are seeking for women to be as strong physically as a man. The strength of a woman is a different type of strength. In verse 18 and 19, we see more of her productivity and her, her industry and more of her economic activity. And with all of this economic activity and productivity, I think it's very interesting where we land in verse 20. It's not that she has a, a huge bank account and goes and spends all of this on herself. It ends with her seeking the poor, which is so interesting. It's kindness. It's mercy. It says in verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. This is a woman who is humble and is observant. 
She is looking to the needs of other people. Though she is looking to the needs of her own self and her own household, she is also looking to the needs of other people. She is generous, she is unselfish, and she cares in a personal way. The idea of reaching out your hand to someone is not just writing a check and giving it to some other organization so that organization can then go do something for someone. But it's a person that by their own hands goes and does things for other people. There's a beautiful example of this in the book of Acts. Uh, with a woman named Tabitha, who by her own hand made garments for the poor and for the widows. And when she dies, there's great weeping over her death because people loved her because of all the good that she did to other people. And we understand what this means. When a godly woman, in her observation and her strength, she is able to give to others in a way that is life-giving and lifts them up. People love a woman like that because of their goodness and their godliness. Well, the third part of this begins to focus down on the home and homemaking and how all of this industry goes towards the home. In verse 21, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed in scarlet. If you have, uh, if your Bible, depending on what translation you have, you're going to have a number or a, some type of connotation there over the word scarlet because there's a little struggle as to how to translate that word. Because it can mean scarlet or it can mean, it's, it's in the plural, which is, can mean double. And if, if it means double, then it, it relates more to the snow part of this, that, there's, that there is a, a double covering. She's got, him, she's got him covered for the wintertime. And one way or another, when the winter or the struggles come, she has a wise woman. She has forethought to what is coming and has laid a plan for her family. And she needs not fear the future anxieties, not only because of preparation that is made, but because of her fear and her hope in the Lord God. In verse 22, we see that her industry is also towards making herself uh, beautiful and presentable. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Though she is a careful person and though she is a frugal person, she is not a cheap person. She cares for herself, clothes herself well and in dignity. In verse 23, her husband is known in the gates. This has to do with her contributing to the success of her husband. And we know if we, talk, if we turn this whole thing around and flip it, it's going to happen the same way from the husband, that the husband and the wife are constantly seeking to bless each other, constantly seeking to lift each other up, constantly seeking to do good to each other. And the wife supports and helps the husband, and the husband helps and supports the wife. And where there is weakness, each one of them works to strengthen that weakness. And she is a part of her husband's success. I mean, I... I mention this often from the pulpit, but I would not be the person that I am in any way if it were not for my wife. She is radically impactful in me being the person that I am through her constant blessing to me and upholding me and helping me in this life. But it focuses down in verse 27 to what I think is a central and key verse to all that is happening here. And in verse 27, it says, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She is a, you can't look at this passage and think this is an idle person. This is a hardworking person, and she is after it. And so the, idle, the lack of idleness in her industry brings about blessing for her home, and she looks well to the ways of her household. And so what this is talking about, this is getting at the primary complementing roles of a husband and a wife. I believe that the Bible teaches clearly that there are basic primary roles for a husband and a wife. 
primary role of the wife is homemaking and the care of children. And the primary role of the husband is spiritual leadership, uh, provision, and protection. And so I say primary because there is constant overlap between these two. And we are constantly seeing a husband and a wife step into the other role and back and forth. And it is not a hard division between the two. But what primary means is that the buck has to stop with somebody in some place. And if there is no spiritual leadership happening in the household, it should be the husband that should realize, you know what, something is wrong here, and I need to step it up, and I need to do a better job in spiritually leading my household. If there's not enough provision in the household, there's not enough income coming in, then it goes to the husband. And he says, I I need to figure this out. Maybe I need to go pick up a second job. Maybe I need to get a different job. Maybe I'm doing something that I enjoy but really is not helping my family. And it goes to him to primarily figure it out. And if we go to the household and the household is just out of order and the children are chaotic, it goes to the wife. And to the primary role there of saying, all right, I I need to look at this. God help me to figure out what I need to do differently here, that there might be peace here, and that we might be moving in a direction that is helpful and is a blessing and cares for this household, that I might be more like this woman in this passage here. And so these two things, if we look at them, they complement each other. If we go down to even the most basic things of looking at Adam Smith and the division of labor and the wealth of nations, everybody understands that dividing labor allows more productivity. And this is what the Lord God has put before us, that two people dividing the labor of a household and a divine division of labor are able to produce more, be more godly, be more healthy, be a greater blessing to each other, and in the end, see more joy come out of the entire situation. And so she looks well for the ways of her household. In verses 28 through 31, we see a culmination of these things. The husband and the child rise up to bless her. Verse 28, children rise up to call her blessed and her husband also, and he praises her. When we walk according to these lines, and let me be the first one to say, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And what that means is that there's a lot of different ways that this can work its way out. There's a lot of different ways that the industry of a woman can work its way out. But I'm going to say that no matter how that industry works its way out, If the heart is not angled towards the home, and if the heart does not love marriage and love children and see the goodness of it, then something has gone wrong there. And we see that in our day and age. Our day and age is not urging women to look towards the home and to look towards marriage. They're causing them to look away from all these things and saying that these things will tie you down and weigh you down. And the same thing is said to men. Don't ever marry a woman. It will just tie you down and weigh you down and destroy your life. And I'm telling you that it's a lie that when we come together in the ways that the Lord God would have us to do, it produces goodness and blessing. And when a wife lives this way, her husband and her children rise up and call her blessed. Thank you, mom. Thank you, wife, for choosing to live this way. You're a tremendous blessing to me and to our family and to our household, and we love you for what you're doing. And I believe that is what Mother's Day is primarily about, is about what we're talking about right here rising up as a husband, rising up as children, and saying thank you for living the life that you did. Thank you for doing what you did to care for me, to love me, to guide me, to direct me, and to help me be the person that I am today. The loving husband and the children not fault-finding, not comparing, not uh, complaining, 
but instead looking as to how they can be a blessing to their wife or to their mother. Until we get to verse 29. Many women have done excellently, but you are the best. You surpass them all. And that's a, that's a wonderful statement. But what does that mean? When we look at the diversity of men and women in this world, how does anybody, how is anybody the best? Well, I'll tell you how they're the best. Your wife or your mother is the best for you because God gave you that person. And I know that God gave me the mother that I have and the wife that I have and that they're the best to me because I needed them. And they work to shape my life every day and they're the right people to shape my life. And I believe that every Christian couple that came together prayed about their wedding and prayed about their marriage and asked God to bring them someone that was good for them. And they kept praying for their children and they kept praying for their spouse. And in that, God will use the two of you together as a blessing to each other. And you should look at your spouse and at your mother and say, thank you, you're the best. You're the best for me. You above all people, I thank God for you. Verse 30 is praise for her godliness. Not just for her industry, not just for the things that she does, but for her godliness. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And lastly is public praise. The praise gets outside of the family and outside of the, the marriage Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. To say, man, I love my wife. And I want to encourage you to say these things. Children about your parents, husband about your wife, don't ever, ever dog your wife in public. Praise your wife in public. People, that's a, that's a great pastime at work, is to dog your wife at work. Don't be that guy. Step away from the crowd. Close your mouth. Don't say negative things about your wife in public. Be the opposite. Be the guy that always praises your wife in public. Until when people finally meet your wife, they say, wow, I've been looking forward to meeting you. You must be an amazing person. I've heard nothing but great things about you. And that's the kind of husband, that's the kind of child that we want to be towards the women in our lives. And so in closing, I want to say a word to those that may be unmarried or may not have children. Because I understand this can be a difficult thing to hear. And it's important that we not shy away from saying these things. But the Bible is full, and this church is full, of stories of people that did not have children or wanted to be married and were not married. And what did they do with that longing and that desire of their heart? They took it to the Lord in prayer. We just sang about this earlier. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And I encourage you to do that. That's the first thing to do. Take the longings of your heart and the struggles of your heart and these great emotional anxieties of your heart. Take them to the Lord in prayer and pray about these things and then continue to seek them. God will bring you the spouse that he has for you. Sometimes he has us wait for a long time and it's good to wait for the right thing rather than rush into something that you know is not right. And if it is a matter of childlessness, never discount what we talk about all the time in this church, which is the beauty of adoption and foster care. It may be that God would not give you a child of your own because he has another child or children to bring into your life for you to love and care for and raise. But one way or another, God loves you and will answer the prayer that you bring to him in humility and joy. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Um, this is a difficult thing to talk about because it is so radically different than what we see happening in our culture today. 
My prayer this morning is that the people of this church and the people that hear this message would see the goodness of the word of God and the goodness of the plan of God. And that God is not against us, but he is for us. And as our creator, that he has designed us in a certain way. And if we fight against that design and we struggle against that purpose, it will lead not to blessing, but to great sadness and corruption. And Lord, I pray for this church that we would be a people that are known to embrace the word of God and that in doing that, that we would embrace the roles and the gender that you have given to us, that we would not fight against these things, but that we would seek to cultivate what you would have us to be. And then in cultivating it, there would be joy and peace in our homes, that our children would see godliness and that they would be raised up in godliness. I pray for each one that struggles with different uh, different hardships related to each of the things that have been said here today. I pray that you would help them. I pray that you would bring them from where they are into a place that is of greater strength and of greater joy. I pray that you would continue to bring together marriages in this church. I'm encouraged by the number of marriages and the continuing number of marriages in this church. It is your normal plan and pattern, and I pray, God, that we would continue to see Christian people coming together uh, to love one another and to form families in this church. I thank you for the many children that we have in this church and that we would continue to value and love children in the way that you tell us we should. Lord, may you bless the children. May you bless the mothers and the wives of this church. And I pray, Father, help them as they seek after you. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.